Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pabuda. Be joined today by Alex Boudreau, usual co host. Uh, today's episode, we have uh, Dorian Missick. Uh, he's in a lot of different things. He did some work with Denzel. Um, he's been acting for a while now, but he, he had a really, really interesting story of how he just kind of <laughs> fell into acting and. Um, yeah, now he's in like all these big time things, and he just most recently was the main character in the um, the TV series For Life, um, which was created by Hank Stern, uh, Steinberg uh, on ABC. Aired February 11th. I think it just actually wrapped up as of a couple weeks ago, um, but it's loosely based on the true story of Isaac Wright, who was in prison for a crime he did not commit. Um, it's really good reviews, uh, really good stuff. I think you guys should check it out. And um, yeah, we're excited about this episode. So, Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the undisputed greatest podcast in the world, Beyond the Brand! Yeah, so take us a little bit through, um, you know, your upbringing growing up and then kind of how you, you got into acting. Well, oh man, I, uh, I mean, I, I was born in Jersey, East Orange, but okay. uh, then we settled in Plainfield mostly uh, for my youth. So that's when I really kind of was interested in, I started being interested in acting. A lot of, I come from a family of storytellers, man. I'm West Indian, my family's Bahamian and just very big storytellers. And so I come from that, man. And so I, it was always something that I kind of thought that I could do that and music. I just was like, I wanted, I want to make a career out of something like that. And, um, around fifth grade or so, uh, I had a teacher whose son was an actor, who's still an actor. And, um, she didn't really think I had what it took to be an actor. She was like, listen, man, you, you don't listen in class, you act up. So, and you need to, you know, come to my son. Cause I asked her if I could come to her son's class. She was like, yeah, you come to the class and you'll see that. Like, uh, you know, you're, you ain't supposed to be there because these kids, they know how to listen. They know how to, and they're not just class clowns. And so I got there and, uh, they we were doing a warm up, and in the warm up I was break dancing. And, uh, it just so happened to be that there was a casting director there looking to put kids in a Coca-Cola commercial who could break dance. And I was the only one who could do it. And so that was a Saturday and that Wednesday I was on set on my first job and I joined the union. And then from there I met an agent and just, it's been kind of like my life ever since. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. How old were you when this was going on? I was like 10, 10, 11, 10 or 11. Yeah. yeah. So I was a real little guy. Yeah. It's so funny. You know, we have, uh, we've, we've done a few episodes with some other actors and it's like, they kind of, like majority of them just kind of fell into it. Like it's something like they maybe sparked an interest with, like a commercial, like you said, yeah. and boom, like sprouted off. Yeah, and then it just blows up into something crazy. So I mean, yeah, like you had that passion so young, like you knew, like at a young age. Yeah, you know what? It's funny because it's like I knew it, but then I see kid actors now, you know, um, and it's like they're like these really serious theater kids. Like I wasn't that, you know what I'm saying? It was just like I took it as seriously as. Uh, 
as like, you know, my friends who play basketball or baseball or something. I just knew I liked doing it. I knew at some point I was going to make a living out of it, but it, it wasn't like I ate, breathe and let, you know, like I wasn't that kind of kid. Like I wasn't reading the trades and stuff like that. I just was, you know, it, it was an activity that I had, like, you know, uh, it, some kids went to Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and I had auditions. That was my activity along with, along with all my other stuff, basketball, baseball, soccer, you know? So it, it, it didn't really become a serious thing to me until I, until I got to an age where I had to like have a job. Then I was like, wait a minute, this is actually a career that I, you know, by then I had accumulated a decent amount of credits. So I was like, yo, I got to take this thing seriously, man, if I'm really trying to make a living. And that's when I hunkered down, like around 2021, 20, yeah. you know. But before that, man, it was, like I said, it was just like being in baseball, being in Little League or something, you know. Maybe AAU, a little bit higher than Little League because, yeah. uh, I, you know, it was professional. But I never, I never thought much else about it, you know. I wasn't obsessed with it like a lot of children I see who are. And neither was my family. Yeah, so prior to that Coca-Cola commercial, you had no prior acting experience? Zero. Zero. Nothing. Yeah, like other than, like I said, just telling stories to my family and uh, playing make-believe. Nothing. No idea. I didn't, nah, I had no concept of the, the, the cameras, the theater, or anything like that. But like I said, that put me on the, that put me on a run. Like after that, I started doing plays all the time and things like that. But prior to that, it was just something that I wanted to do. I wasn't even begging my mom to do it. It was just something I wanted to do. Yeah. So what would you say after Coca-Cola thing was your, your biggest like break into the industry when it started to get like real, like you said, it kind of snowballed after that. So what was like the next yeah. thing? I think probably man, like years and years later, probably my, when I, when I did two weeks notice that film that I did with Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant, I was like 25, 26 years old when I did that. And um, that's when I, it really hit me that, this was about to be like a real thing, you know, um, prior to that. I mean, I, I listen, I had already made the decision that, that was going to be my life, but I, I kind of saw myself as like a guy who was just going to do commercials and, and theater and, you know, the occasional TV thing here and there. Like I wanted to be up there, but it just didn't seem tangible necessarily. And it wasn't until I got that movie that I was like, Oh, this is about to be like a real thing. You know, um, I'm meeting her. I'm going on meetings around Los Angeles because I was living in New York still. And I would go. To, I went to L.A. for my first big L.A. trip, and uh, they set me up with all these meetings. And then I was like, "Oh, this is a like a thing. Like these people are looking at me to be like a real actor. <laughs> like I'm gonna have a career all of a sudden." And and that's when I realized, "Yo, this is a, this is really gonna happen." Yeah. What was it, what was that like with Sandra Bullock being so young too and early? And was that like a oh shit like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was too, I, I was kind of too naive to be even like thrown by her. You know what I'm saying? Cause it was like, if I was doing a movie with like LL Cool J or something like that, I might've been like real bugged out. But like, it was like Sandra Bullock. I, I liked her, you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't like starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever, have you that over, I mean, I mean, obviously you've gotten into some stuff like later on we'll get into, but has there ever been a point where you was like, damn, like I'm with this dude right now or, or girl or whatever? Yeah. I, I think probably before, like, right. Like maybe, uh, I, we say I, I say that two weeks notice was when I felt like I, I was really discovered, but I feel like I had arrived maybe about a month, two maybe two weeks before I got two weeks notice. I was up for Antoine Fisher, the movie that Denzel Washington directed, and it was his first film. And that was like I think the first time I'd ever gotten first or second time I'd actually gotten flown out to Los Angeles for something. Yeah. And I, I, I get to LA and my plane was late. So I ran straight from the airport to, they drove me straight to the, to the studio for the audition. And then I didn't have any time to think about it. And all of a sudden I'm doing a scene with Denzel Washington 
that hit me. Well, I was like, yo, wait, time out, time, time out. Like, yo, this is the first time I'm meeting this dude. And literally all, all he had time to do was be like, hey, man, how you doing? Hey, man, how was the flight? It was cool. All right. Uh, take a deep breath. We got to go in here and do this thing. And then it was just like, yo, I'm acting with Denzel. <laughs> you are, you're like, you're like, just frozen. Yeah. Like, like, it's Denzel Washington. Yeah, but like that was the only way that was gonna work because the the adrenaline was such that I was like going, going, going because I was I knew my flight was late. I knew I didn't know how to get from the hotel to Sony. Like I, there was like so many things that were that was pressure behind me that I didn't have any time to really digest the fact that it was Denzel. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until we were like halfway through the first scene that I like looked across the screen, looked across the table, and was like, "Yo, that's Denzel Washington right now." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, time out. Like, what's going on right now? <laughs> That's wild. That's crazy. That's when I was like, kind of, I was kind of starstruck after that, man. Yeah. You know. So they didn't tell you like prior who, who was going to be on this film at all. You were just kind of just hopped right into it. What do you mean with a uh, meeting? With, well, you knew because he was directing, right? I knew he was directing it, and then, okay. then like you know, the kid and the character was the lead character, so nobody else was in it yet. Okay. So all I knew was that Denzel was directing. I don't even think I knew he was going to be in it. Maybe I did, but. It didn't matter. It was just like, yo, to be able to spend that much time with him was just, to me, was just going to be, that was just crazy to me. And so that was a moment when I definitely got hit where I was like, wait a minute. A, I got the, I got, you know, the seal of approval from Denzel Washington. That's A. And then B, like, the, that, that's Denzel Washington. Like, I, I'm actually sitting across from him. So by the time I met Sandra Bullock, by the time I met Sandy and, and, um, and uh, Hugh Grant, it didn't, I was like a little bit more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, like it's hard to top Denzel. Like Denzel's the fucking man, so it's like it's hard to get. Yeah, man. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know and plus, was like, 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 now it makes sense. Like I said, your book, whatever. I, I was with Denzel before this, so it's like, <laughs> and she like she's like you know the thing about her is that she's like the girl next door. You know what I'm saying? So it was like you you were happy to meet her, happy to be. I was very happy to be around her, but it wasn't like this is a movie you know, icon stepping into the room. <laughs> it was like the girl everybody loved. So, what was that experience like? Did you take advantage of it? Did you ask him like so many questions? Did he give you any tips? Uh, not at that moment. Um, I, I really, I'm, I'm better at uh, learning from observing. So I just watched. Uh, and then, you know, he, we worked, we worked every scene like as if it was like we were going to be on set, like how it was going to go. And so he was very, uh, it, it gave me a window into his process and let me know that my process and his process wasn't so far removed. So it was kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's like if you went to like a private practice with, with Michael Jordan and you realize, oh, he ties his shoes the same way I do. Oh, he does a hundred jumpers before he's, oh, that's the same thing I do. You know, you realize, oh, okay. I'm, I'm actually on the road to greatness right now because what the great guy is doing, I kind of, I do the same thing, just maybe not as well, but I do it, you know, <laughs> and if I practice, eventually I'll get good at it. That's <laughs> That's, that's yeah. a great thing to see early on in your career, too. That's, that's great. Yeah, it was an LC seal of approval. It was crazy. Speaking of Michael Jordan, how do, how do you like the documentary? I love it, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being a Knicks guy, I hated Michael Jordan. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah. I did. Gotcha. It, yeah, so it took me a minute. Like, I had to be, like, removed from Michael Jordan, the player, to even appreciate Michael Jordan and be, like, the, the competitive beast that he is because – you know, I just like Jordan rules. He always crying. And I it's just, I ain't like that dude, man. And, Nick, you know, they, they, we got our dreams snatched so many times by the Bulls, man. So it, 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 I had, it was good that it came out now and I can have an appreciation for all the things that he's accomplished. How, you know? now, now we're on. I got to ask you, too, because the 90s Knicks, like I know I'm a sports guy, so I know all about it. 
I'm a dire Knicks fan. So like, and I caught, I caught, I was like in that era with like Latrell Sprewell. Like that's what I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was right after that. But like that 90s, like in the in New York was probably like I can imagine. Because when I used to go to those games with Latrell Sprewell and them, it was crazy. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ewing was on the team with there, but like mid 90s when it was Jordan and them, like I can't even imagine what that. Yeah, man. Starts when he got the dunk. Like all that, man. Like listen, that, that was, it, it was, it was, New York pride was through the roof. Yeah, you know, it was through the roof, but it was you. You felt like you were a part of something, but it was like you only got but so far because they always snatched this. So who do you? So who would you say if you had to say LeBron versus Jordan? I'm just about to say that. <laughs> we don't have to get deep into. Uh, it. No, no, no. I'm gonna say this. I would say Jordan only because his. It's like I think that LeBron is a basketball monster. I think both of them. The games are very different you know what i'm saying but i just think lebron is like a, a a guy who's like built to be like the ultimate athlete and but i don't think i've ever seen a human being with the with sheer desire to win as much as michael jordan and that's not something that you could uh you can't put a price on that man you it's like fighting somebody who you might be bigger than him but if he's never gonna go down the fight's not over until he says it's over and he ain't gonna say it's over until he wins yeah. So that might mean like, you know, listen, you might be beating this guy really badly for, for three quarters, going hard, four, four and a half quarters, you're killing him. And then in that fourth, that last half of the fourth quarters, he just turns that extra thing on that I don't think any other human being has that takes him to the next level. That's the only reason why I think he would beat him. Yeah. Even if it means he's got to poke him in the eye, he's going to win. Yeah. Some way or the other. That's fair. I'll give you that. Because I, I see, I'm big. We're big LeBron supporters. So I'll give you that. Plus, you, you took a long pause. So I, I was like, all right. I, I can respect yeah. the thing he's done throwing me right now. No matter yeah, what. Nah, it's a no brainer. It's not a no brainer, man. Yeah, yeah. Because we're going to get back on track. You get real heated if we go down that <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, yo, come on. Cut it out, man. That's <laughs> Jordan all day. No, 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 no. That's not funny. Yeah. But, um, all right. So let's get back to it now. Um, take us through some of the stuff then, you know, after that, after the Sandra Bullock stuff, some of the stuff you, you started doing in the middle of your career. Um, I mean, I guess the next like mo- point of, uh, like, like a major watershed moment probably after that was, uh, after two weeks notice was a few le- years later, I did a film freedom land, uh, starring opposite, uh, Sam Jackson. I played his son in that film with Sam Jackson and a bunch of people. And then, um, at the same year I did, uh, Lucky Number Slevin with Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman, Josh Hartnett, and Lucy Liu. So th- that was like a major year for me, I would say, career-wise, just because it was I got to work with a lot of great people. Um, that was the same year I was I, I did an off-Broadway play with a uh, we did Soldiers play off-Broadway, um, which was like you know kind of bringing that Denzel thing back around. It was like a show that you know the show that set his career off, and it, it led to me working with Sam, I believe. No, no, actually, I'd already worked with Sam before that because he's the one who told me to take the part in uh, Soldier's Play. But uh, it was just, you know, that was a great year. You know, so I, I, you know, I went on to do that and then got my first television series. Um, I got a development deal at ABC that year and uh, off of a pilot that I did with J.J. Uh, Abrams and Stu, Stu Zickerman and Raven. Uh, I did a pilot with those guys called... Uh, pros and cons but it didn't get picked up and then they created a role for me in a show called six degrees which did get picked up on abc and we had a short we had a short life there but that kind of put the that's when the wheels were in motion at that point it was like all right i'm 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 here i'm in the game i had those good movies i did the show 
Um, I had that year at a film premium that came out. What was my star myself and Zoe Saldana and directed by Pete Chapman. At that point I was like, all right, we're, this is a thing. Like this is happening. And that's when the ball was really rolling. And what, and what was that like working with guys like JJ Abrams, like the guys behind, like, you know, you see the guys on screen, but what was it like working with someone like of his caliber? Well, you know, JJ is like a young, he's like got a really young energy, man. So it was, I really connected with him and then, and, and Stu, and um, Raven, Stu Zickerman and Raven Metzner, who were the, the, the showrunners of that particular project, those guys, it was kind of like just kicking it with my friends, man. So, like, that was one of the times when it was like I was able to really be in a creative process that didn't feel like I was talking to some old guys in suits and trying to explain to them mm-hmm. my approach. It was like these guys got me. They totally understood me. And that was that was a that was a great that was a good moment. You know, and JJ was coming off of all the success with uh, Lost was the big show. At the time, this is pre, you know, uh, pre uh, um, Star Trek and all that stuff. So it was it was cool, man. It was um, it was a great experience, man, to really feel like to, to have that kind of creative input into a character and uh, and have it be, be reached, have it reach such a big audience. Yeah. So who would you say was like the most helpful throughout your career? You know, kind of like put you on. Hmm. I don't know, man. That's a good question. And I, I mean, I, you know what? I, I don't think anybody gets anywhere without somebody helping them out, you know? And so, like, throughout my, my career, it's been different people at different points that have been helpful to push me to that next space. You know, I mean, when I was in high school, I had a, a drama teacher, and it was Karan Narker, who uh, kind of taught me not to be as not to be just obedient, you know, like to, to learn how to just like take the words on the page and um, use your imagination and, and, and not just try to figure, there's no right or wrong way to do things. And that really freed me up as an artist. So I thought that was really big. And that, that kind of pushed me forward. And then later on, I had an agent, uh, Renee Panicelli, who was super, super, I mean, like she signed me off of a, off of a play or something that she saw me in. And, um, she really pushed for me and she, she pushed me to that next, she really pushed me to that next space. And then Eileen Starger was a casting director who cast me in two weeks notice. I met her at a workshop and, um, my agents at the time had sent me up, set me up to do, to meet with her about like a one or two liner for that movie. Mm -hmm. And she remembered me from the workshop and was like, no, you need to, we need to consider this guy for the lead. Even though the character was written as a fat Italian guy, she was like, I think this this kid can do it. And so that was somebody who helped me out. So I've had different moments like that throughout my career where there's been somebody like who kind of pushed the button. And I think anybody who's had any level of success, they're going to have somebody, they're going to be able to point to a few people who helped them get there. Cause you don't just get there on your own, man. Yeah. And what, and what would you say was your favorite role? Cause I mean, you, you, I mean, you had a bunch and it's very, it's like all over too, right? It's a bunch of different <laughs> roles. It's very like versatile, right? Like the, the acting ability you have. So which one was your favorite or which one's your favorite to do? You had to pick like a role. Man, the next one, <laughs> whatever that may be, you know, <laughs> it's like, it, cause it's like after a while, you know, once you start doing something, you love the character. That's what brings you to the part. Yeah. But then um, when you're in it, you're like in it, you know, it's like, you know, meeting a girl and you're like, man, she's gorgeous. Then you're in a relationship with her and you're like, well, I start to know some things that ain't that dope about it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> At least start thinking about the next girl. So yeah. like, that's <laughs> 
That's how I look at this. You're like, yo, man, don't get me wrong. She looks great, but you have not seen her in the morning. I have. Yeah, it kind of ruins things, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> Didn't tell me this when we started. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, this was a great role, but man, I did not know I was going to deal with all this just to get it to get to screen. You know, it's like different things that happen, but um, it's all I, I enjoy all the process. I have a different affinity affinity for all the characters, but uh, it's always I'm always looking forward to the next thing, like what that's going to be. Are you are you so are you one of those are you one of those actors who likes to when they're not on screen or not on set still tries to stay in character and stays like within there? Or do you take different bits and pieces or times of your day where you still try to? put that into your life? Uh, you know what, man, it depends. It's like, it, it, I think in the early part of the process, um, I have to do that just because I have to get totally in the shoes of that character. Um, especially if I'm doing like a play or something like that, I don't like to drop it at all in the rehearsal process. Yeah. Something happens during the run of the show, especially when you're doing like two shows a day, like you got to drop it, man. You, get my, you do a show in the morning and then you have like hours in between the day before you have to come back and do it again. You might be going to dinner with somebody. You might go to lunch with somebody. And they don't want to go to lunch with the person that was on stage. They're going to lunch with you. You have to be able to shake it off. But in the beginning of building a character, no, I live in it as much as I can completely mm-hmm. until I feel comfortable enough to step away, put them down for a second, and put them back in, put them back on. You know, usually music helps me get back into the space. But I have to let the character tell me what kind of music he wants to hear. You know, what's going to put me there. And, I, and in order to do that, you got to surrender completely to him to be able to do that. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because it's a good transition here. Uh, DJ Tailwind Turner, I want to hear a little bit about your music career. You mentioned it was a big passion of yours. Um, yeah, I listened to uh, one of your mixes uh, a little bit earlier. Tell, tell us a little bit about music, the the passion behind it. What, what you're up to with that now? Man, music is just an outlet for me. Man, it's just it's just something that I don't have to depend on for uh, for money, so I can just do it strictly for the love. Um, I've just always been about, you know, my music, man. I mean, growing up, uh, I grew up during the crack era. So going outside wasn't necessarily the best thing for me all the time as a kid. So, my, you know, my, my family did a lot to try to keep me in the house. And a lot of times that would mean just, you know, let me go through their record collection. And um, I, got, I just became addicted to music as a result of that. And then going to the record store was like a big thing for me. I would get up early in the morning on Saturdays be the first person in the store uh, to buy vinyl and, you know, and then um, sharing that music with people is how I moved into the DJing thing. But I, I rap still do sometimes I still record stuff. Uh, but it's just, it's just another way to be creative, another way to tell stories, you know, and I love uh, being, you know, DJing out loud. And you know, I got a, two residencies, one in Los Angeles, one in, um, in uh, both in Los Angeles, but uh there and I, I play there i play at the room in, in hollywood i do a party called cherry pop and i've been doing it for 10 years now and uh my other so my other residency is a, a, a festival called Solnik, and it's a it's a soulful house music festival so i've been doing that man for years and it's just a way to kind of get my music out and get my get that aspect out you know it's like a way to do something that i'm 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 in control of no one can change it you know, it's like what I play is the record that you, that I play. And then I listen to the people and I play what they want to hear. And I, I can just really set the tone. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I love doing it. So, so is that like something you're, you like treat as like a hobby or is it, you would like to you know expand further? 
No, it's, it's more than a hobby because at one point in time it, it, it floated me, you know, and all my friends were uh, waiting tables, you know, they're doing the typical what actors do thing, you know, waiting tables. I was I was uh, playing records. So it, it it floated me in that way during the time. So it was my livelihood. So I, it, And I would die if I couldn't do it. So it's definitely more than just a hobby for me. And, you know, you got to pay me if I show up. Like, that's just how that goes. So that's a job. <laughs> that is a job. And there have been gigs that I've done that I'm like, I really don't feel like doing this. Yeah. But, you know, you guys, the, 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 I, I've been, I, I committed to do it and the check is there. So they become, that's what a job is. So. <laughs> but, it, you know, I, I think my whole life I've turned, I've turned my, any career that I have, I've turned it, I've turned my hobby into a lifestyle, into a living, you know. So on the music topic, because I'm a huge 50 Cent fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is it like, you know, being aside him and working with him? Yo, I love working with 50, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the thing, man. He got so many stories. Like, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that we like so much about his music is that he paints pictures so vividly, you know. And so sitting around with him on set, man, and, and like, him talking about whether it's something that like I already know about, like maybe a beef he had with somebody, but he's just telling his side of it. Or it could just be something about like, you know, his relationship with his grandfather when he was a kid. It's just, it's you, you really feel like you get to know the cat because he's just very open with, uh, with, with his stories and, and, and the way he views the world. It's just, it's a, he's an interesting character, man. He really is, man. So uh, much, much deeper than the music uh, might, be lie you know you much deeper than that you know but you know that's a side of him too so right. and would you, you don't say, want to cross that i mean you just kind of just said it too but would you so you would say he's he's as talented as he was as a, a musician going into this aspect of his career because he's i mean you know power he's involved with and now this show uh for life like, i mean would you say like he's, he's that talented overall is it just as an artist in general yeah you know what you know what the thing is about him is that it's talent, definitely. Um, but there's like that Michael Jordan thing of like, I will not lose, right. you know, and that is something that like you, you just talent or not, you're not going to, he's not going to lose, but he's talented in addition to it. But it's just the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't do something to just put his, to dabble in it. Like even for example, like me, I'm like, yo, you know, I play records like this, that, and the third. He's like, if I'm play records, I'm going to be the number one DJ who ever played a record, you know, that otherwise I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, like that's the kind of that's the way in which he approaches it, and, and uh, it's exhausting at times. But uh, it's definitely like to watch somebody else do it. You're like, man, this is that that drive is, is amazing when it comes to that. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, he's 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 talented, but he's just driven, man, and he 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 knows what the people want. Yeah. Do you owe him any money? No, thank God. No. <laughs> I owe him nothing. <laughs> I owe him, I owe him thanks. Like, good looking out for uh, sending me this script. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So what was it like, you know, because we talked to a, a few guests, uh, Helene Flowers and Jim McGreevy, former oh. governor of New Jersey. And right. what was it like, you know, being in the film for life? Kind of talks about that justice reform. No, I mean, it's being on that project is it's crazy because I was just talking to all my cast just like right before we did this. But um, it's we didn't you know, you're doing something that's important in a way, uh, but you don't allow that to weigh you down because the story is so rich that uh, even if it wasn't true, 
you would uh, we would be as an actor and as a viewer, you get invested in it. But um, what I like about it is that, you know, there are those moments when you are reminded, you know, when Isaac Wright, who the story is, is based on his life, when he's on set, when Isaac's on set, you're like, man, we have to do this, do this brother justice and tell his story and um, and, and be honest about it. So that's like a there's like a different level when you when you know that you're doing something that uh, is a true story you're telling somebody's real story. And I did that a, prior to this on a film called The Brian Banks Story um, about Brian Banks, the young man who was falsely accused of rape, went to jail, came out of jail, uh, was exonerated, and then eventually landed in the NFL. Um, and so I, in, and in that film, Brian was on set every day. Oh, yeah, and I, it was I, like... I remember that movie coming out. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, about this time last year, maybe. Yeah. 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 So I played his parole officer mm-hmm. um, who was probably like the most hated character next to the, the girl <laughs> who falsely accused him of rape. <laughs> we were the two villains, but uh, it, in that, but you on that film too, you got the sense that this is bigger than just telling a story, you know. And it's good when you can do that, but it's even better when you can do that and it's entertaining. And you would watch it even if you didn't know it was a real story. Yeah. And that's what I feel like we have here with the life. I love that, you know. Yeah, we had um, Halim Flowers on. He, he like just got out of prison for, for doing like thirty years. He was actually in Kim Kardashian's documentary that she just right. Made. Yeah. Uh, that was really interesting to talk about. I haven't seen her doc yet, man. So, but I know she's doing some really amazing stuff with that. Yeah, he's at, he he collabs with her. He did the he did one of those Sunday thing with with Kanye. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Kanye yeah. Sunday, yeah. Sunday gospel. Yeah, he's like a, he's like an artist. He does a little bit of everything: painting, music. Like he does everything. But he's yeah. he's a really interesting dude. You should definitely check it out. And when we release that episode, we'll definitely let you know. But oh yeah, I'm gonna check it out. Question. But um. Yeah, so so t- tell us through. I mean, you just. I mean, for life that aired uh, May fifth was a big episode for you. Uh, the finale is May twelfth, right? So next week, that's correct. Right. Yeah, Tuesday. Um, yeah. So what what's what's next for you after this? Like, what are you looking forward to next? Like, what's next for you? Whether it be outside of acting, outside of music, is there any other endeavors you got going on? Things like that. Uh, yeah, man. I, you know what's so funny was like I, I was very much looking forward to you know taking a little bit of a vacation over the summer <laughs> uh because my wife is also on a show she's on um all rise on cbs and so we that. both have this yeah we both have a break right around now and so we were both gonna we were planning on you know just going on a vacation and um you know just debriefing a bit uh you know because it's tough because she lives she shoots in los angeles and i shoot in new york and so I find myself on a plane almost every weekend coming back to LA to, to be with her. And so we were planning on just kind of just relaxing a little bit. And then when the pandemic hit, it was like, all of a sudden you felt like you needed to get productive. And so I've been reading a lot of scripts, <laughs> I've been reading a lot of scripts that I probably wouldn't have read if I thought I was on vacation. But, uh, so I guess that's been kind of good. And then, um, so there, there've been some things that I'm looking at, but nothing, nothing solidified just yet. No, because it's everything is so up in the air. We don't know when anything's going to happen again. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we've been hearing from a lot of actors. But yeah. uh, glad you brought up your wife. You guys actually played uh, in the same film or TV show, right? Luke Cage in the Marvel. Yeah, that's about Luke Cage that, that dynamic being with your wife on set. Man, I like being with my wife. Uh, not really much on set so much. I like shooting <laughs> scenes with her, but like, yeah, we've decided we don't do too well sharing trailers. That don't work. Uh, we get two very different. Um, <laughs> 
two very different processes. <laughs> and no one is willing to bend. She likes to sit around, be all quiet and shit. I'm not into that, man. I got to turn my music up. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the first day on Luke Cage, we tried to share a trailer because we thought that would be cute. And we realized very by lunchtime, I was like, yo, I was going to the PA. He's like, yo, listen, man, can you, you know, move my stuff to it? Another trip. This ain't gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> this ain't gonna work, man. I live with her. Like I gotta go home with her. Like I, we thought it was cute, but this ain't gonna. This ain't a good idea. <laughs> you need some sort of breathing room in there. You know, you can't be twenty four seven. That's crazy. Yeah, we thought it was gonna be a good idea. It was terrible, but I, other than that, though, I love working with her on an acting aspect because it's just you know one of the things with, that you look forward to. One of the things you look for as an actor is uh, in a scene partner, somebody you could trust. You know, you trust the choices, you trust what they're going to do. And I trust my wife implicitly. So she makes the best scene partner, no matter what it is we're working on, you know? Yeah. I have two questions. Um, you played in a little role in Sons of Anarchy. We actually mm -hmm. had a guest on, Aline Grubba. Have you talked to her before or have heard of her? Aline Grubba? No, I'm not familiar. Well, Dang. Question. Um, she was a. Uh, she's a. Uh, she was on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. She was on. She was in one episode. She was in like a pretty big part. Uh, we had. Uh, she has a uh, like a a leg thing. She got. Yeah, she had a great story. She got a vaccine. You know she. Is? She wears like a brace. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I don't know her though. I know who you're talking yeah. about. She got. Yeah. She got. She got like a vaccine when she was a kid, and it like fucked her up. Like she almost died, and then she had cancer. Cancer survivor, and then. Her whole story is about how she kind of changed the stigma of you don't have to be like this big, like beautiful blonde woman to be an actress and things like that. Her story is incredible. I can't wait to release her episode too. But yeah, she was like a really nice woman and she plays all these like badass roles. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so she's big into, you know, philanthropy and, and giving back in like that type of way. Are there any big philanthropies or something that you're very passionate about or you like to give back to communities? I yeah, think? definitely. I mean, uh, one of the things that, you know, in our household we're pretty big on is my wife is a alumni of Howard University, so she's a HBCU alum, historically black college nurse. That's where Halim and Kanye did the, the, the Sunday thing together. Okay. All right. I remember that. All right. I, I, I watched a few of those Sunday uh, sermons, and uh, the one, the big one was the Coachella one. That was, yeah. Yeah. The Howard one was the guy we, that came out of jail. Right out of jail, he went there and performed with Kanye that Sunday. It was crazy. Oh, okay. I got to check that. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, you know, so we, we do a decent amount to support them, uh, you know, HBCUs. Um, <clears throat> there's a, pro a program in Brooklyn called Real Works, where they take students, uh, film students, and they usually partner them up with someone in the industry uh, to mentor them and then help them kind of get through the business and um, get started in the business. And we, we do a lot of work with film works, uh, with Real Works as well. So between that and of course, our church, um, and there's there's a lot of lot of things that we like to, lot of lot of causes that I'm that I'm passionate about. That's awesome. That's great. And uh, my second question: Any advice for some young 24 year olds maybe looking to get into acting career? <laughs> yeah, uh, my advice is always the people to study, man. Like that's like key, 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 key. Because it, there's so much more of this that's that's that is uh, it's not intellectual. I won't say that, but it's like that deals with studying, you know, like memorizing lines, asking questions, getting to the bottom of who this character is. And what it's so much more of it. That is like, uh, that, that is taken from that, that, that you approach it from that point that 
you need to study to have some sort of way in which to attack that. I'm not going to say that you need to prescribe to any specific uh, um, method, so to speak, but you need to have some kind of way to put it together and have a game plan. That way um, you have something to fall back on in terms of like how to approach it. And then also if you're willing to study and do all of that, you're going to be willing to deal with all the bullshit that comes along with this business, which is, you know, being told no for reasons that have nothing to do with your acting and, and, and being sort of maintain you to keep you passionate enough to keep going, man. So I always say if you can find some place to study, do it and, and, and stay in it. Like I still study to this day. You know, when I get breaks, I go work with a coach on some Shakespeare or something like that. Like you got to just do it to keep the tool sharp. Yeah, staying yeah. in the gym, man. Stay in the gym. Not like, well, I mean, some people do, you know, stay lifting weights. But I mean, like literally like stay working on your craft. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Would, you, would you say taking classes would be worth it or skip that and try to, you know, take, take the small route, go into commercials or something like that? I say doing both if you can. You know, um, if you can get into one of the accredited schools, you know, like NYU or Juilliard or, 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 or you know, someplace like that, Carnegie Mellon. I would definitely say go there, man. Um, just because I dropped out of college when I because I was acting and working. And when I look back on it, if I had to, had to do it again, I would do it. I would stay because although I, I did fine, you know, I, I'm doing great. Uh, the period of time that I was really struggling and, and, and scratching, trying to make things come together, I could have just been in school doing that. Like I didn't have to be in the real streets doing that. I could have rather, I would have much rather been like in the comforts of a, of a college dorm or something and, you know, starved there. But at the same time was around, surrounded by artists who wanted the same thing as me, as opposed to, you know, just trying to figure it out um, without being somewhere where I had a place to kind of, kind of to fall back on, you know? Yeah. It could have, could have went both ways. You know, the learning experience you got on the streets, you know, early learner. Yeah, it's tough. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're the sum. We're all the sum total of our experiences. So like, who's to say that I'd even be the artist that I am if yeah. I had stayed in school? I can't say that. I can't promise you that I would have been. But it's like when I think back on how poor I was, how much I struggled, I, you know, I, I wouldn't wish that on um, anyone else. You know, even though I'm glad I'm proud of what I've accomplished and I'm proud that I made it through that. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest that. Like, so there, when I look back on it, I'm like, man, I was a crazy person. Only a crazy person would pursue a career after, and if it, if it meant going through all the stuff that I went through, mm-hmm. only a crazy person would do that. And uh, I guess, uh, I guess that's the question you'd have to ask yourself: How crazy am I really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's funny because what's his name was talking about that. Yeah, that's kind of funny. But um, all right, one more question too. So, because you mentioned your Knicks fan, so how often? Actually, two questions now. How often <laughs> you are on the East Coast? How often are you like? Do you go to Knicks games? I know they're shitty, but like, do you still go out and support every now and then? Uh, this is going to really hurt your feelings, but uh, <laughs> uh, because because I'm a um, I'm a Brooklyn guy, I oh, have uh, God, I'm even started, you're, you're, I started going to the Nets games, man, because it's like I could just walk. <laughs> <laughs> I have started going to Nets games. I've gone to quite a few Knicks games, though, you know. But like you said, it's painful. It hurts my heart, but I have like I've gotten more acquainted with the with the Nets because I go to the games more frequently. It's just like a lot easier for me. Uh, and quite honestly, at this point, when you're a New York sports fan, you know you go to the games strategically because you want to see. Because we're not necessarily 
thinking right. we're going to win. So you're like, all right, well, what's going to be a good game to watch? <laughs> you know, it's unfortunate, man, but that's, that's, that's where we at. Yeah. You know? I hear you, it's tough too, man. It's like, yeah, listen, my whole life I grew up like not liking the Nets. <laughs> I, I hate them. I can't stand them. It hurts. Yeah. You, as a fellow Knicks fan, say you go to the games like that. But you know, I'll, I'll yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I catch a lot of flack, especially in my family. Oh my god, they can't, they can't believe it, man. They can't. I went to a Knicks game with, with Simone, and we took pictures, and some. I think we posted it or something. And my cousin was like, "I want to out you so bad, man." <laughs> he was like, "That's probably the only Knicks game you went to all season. You don't take no pictures when you go to see the Nets." <laughs> <laughs> he's really pissed at me. You're know? with it though, right? Like, what, what, how do you feel about like Leon Rose taking over as the, as the new GM and all that? No, I think it's. I think that we, we, you know, look. I don't like to get too excited about us in our rebuilding periods because it's just like it. The, the Knicks still for twenty years. That's why. Right. Yeah. And and they, and they and they treat us like a like a um you know like a, a good looking girl who just needs you to do a favor. You know what I'm saying? She she's like, come pick me up. You know, you're like, oh man, I got a date with this badass chick, and then you drop her off. You find out you're dropping her off to some to see some other dude, man. That's what the Nets, the Knicks do to me, man. I get excited, like, oh snap, we about to do something, and then they do something that you're like, well, what the hell is happening? Why did you get this guy? What's happening here? Why didn't we build around this player? Yeah, or they, or, or they just speculate, right? They get you all hyped up as a fan, like, oh, yo, so and so is coming. So it's it's the same shit every year. I'm already here. Yeah. Too. Summer with, with Joe Allen B, Donovan Mitchell, you know how it goes. But I mean, I hey, listen, and here's here's something that's even worse, man. My wife's from Detroit. She's a Pistons fan. That is tough. That is tough. She Are you kidding me? Tough. <laughs> that it's, is tough. it's beyond tough. And then when her dad is over here and her brother is at the house, like I got to listen to all these Pistons fans, and I can't kick them out. <laughs> I can't kick them out of my house. <laughs> so it's like I need the Knicks to have a winning season so I could at least you know raise my voice in my own house yeah <laughs> so the whole trailer situation you know it makes sense yeah 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 yeah. there you go <laughs> that's when the War of the Roses happened basketball <laughs> yeah. season it's yeah. definitely the War of the Roses man <laughs> right. she stands by the bad boys like she really thinks like they like they played good basketball like they played fair and clean basketball she really <laughs> believes that <laughs> It's not just a notion. Like, I thought that people in Detroit knew that they were cheaters, but they just went with it. Yeah. She really thinks, like, that's how you're supposed to play basketball. Like, <laughs> like it's a hockey game. <laughs> you, got, you guys ever play one-on-one? She, like, throw some bows in your face or something like that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because she's good, man. She's got, she's got a nice handle and a nice jump. She wants to shake your hand when you guys leave the court and all that? <laughs> nah, all, yeah, it's totally, man. Her sportsmanship is very in line with the, with the, with the Pistons, man. Trust me on that. <laughs> That's funny. We, we need to get her, her on next. Talk shit about you. <laughs> she will. <laughs> All right, my man. Uh, yeah, pleasure, man. Uh, glad to have you on. Looking forward to uh, catching up and then, you know, watching that finale on May 12th. Um, I don't yeah. know if you want to shout out some of your social media handles and stuff like that, but we'll be sure to follow you. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Listen, you can follow me, right? I'm mostly active on Instagram. So at Dorian Missick on Instagram. Uh, at Twitter, I'm on. I'm at I'm at Tailwind Turner, DJ yeah, Tailwind Turner. I'm um, at Twitter, um, and that's that's where you can find me. Cool, All right, and then we'll we'll be in touch too because um, we want to send you over a shirt as like a thank you for coming on. Just some merchandise we got, but uh, oh yeah, definitely appreciate that. 
Yeah, man. I uh, appreciate you coming out, man. Stay safe and uh, good luck with everything uh, coming up in the future, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, y'all take it easy, man. Get some fresh air, man. Get out there. <laughs> when you can. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.